I was going to walk out the same way I came in. But this is how God got me. I'm sitting on my hands and I've got my, my head bowed and I'm listening to the altar call. And he said, uh, you know, give your life to Christ. He's pulling, he's pulling. Then I thought to myself, nah, I'll do it when I'm older. As soon as I thought that, he said, tomorrow's not promised. Anything can happen. Give your life to Jesus today. Then I thought something else, another excuse. And as soon as I thought it, he said something. So we had a two minute conversation going back and forth <laughs> and he was rebutting all of my thoughts. I, I, I freaked out. So my hands shot up. I'm like, this is, this is, this is not normal. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. Well, hello and welcome back to Testimony Tuesday here on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This is Pastor Adam with you again from Virginia Beach. And uh, we are very blessed and privileged once again to be joined by a fellowship pastor, and this time from the south of London, Pastor Farai Bayayi. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah, you got it. Got it <laughs> Fantastic. Well, uh, this is like one of my favorite things to do because uh, doing this podcast allows me to meet people that I've never met before and contact people that uh, that I would not have otherwise cross paths with. And so, Pastor Ferrari, we want to welcome you to the show, and thanks for taking the time. No, thank you. I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to share what God has done. So yeah, quick programming note. Um, we here in our church will be taking a impact team to Puerto Rico this week. So uh, we wanted to get a recording in um, early before we left so that I don't have to worry about recording one <laughs> while we're out there on the road. So uh, Pastor Farai was very uh, uh, helpful in uh, responding to a last minute request for a for an uh, for an interview today. So appreciate that very much. And uh, this will be coming out in a couple of weeks. So by the time you hear it, we should already be on our way back. But uh, anyway, uh, it's a blessing to have you, Pastor Farai. And please, for those who don't know you, including myself, why don't you give yourself a quick introduction and um, uh, conference style in uh, three to five minutes, let us know your name, where you're pastoring and what God is doing there. Um. My name is Farai. Um, I've been a Christian since 2003. I got saved around that time in the Croydon Church. Um, and so we are in Sydney, my wife and I, we've been there for 10 years. The church itself is about 12 years old, so we took over. And uh, we're in South London. So just to give you a rough idea, the Walthamstow Church, where Pastor Brown is, which is our grandmother church, is about an hour to an hour and a half drive, uh, depending on the traffic from where we are. So um, we're right in the middle of a nice, nice little city. It's typically a place where people drive through to get somewhere else, but some great people there. And, uh, you know, we've seen God do amazing things. Been married 18 years, saved 20, um, got three children, 10, eight, and six, and just thoroughly enjoying the journey of being, cra being crazy, being saved and serving God. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a blast and I'm looking forward to more of what God's going to do. Amen. That's wonderful. So, uh, Pastor Farai, why don't you tell us uh, about your background? Where are you from? How did you grow up? Yeah, sure. I was um, I was born in Zimbabwe. Um, um, so the first maybe eight years of my life, that's where we lived. My both my parents were uh, kind of ran away from home and joined the army to fight for Zimbabwe's independence. And I think um, Zimbabwe got its independence in 1981. That's when I was born. So it was around that time they kind of met. Um, so my dad's been at war. And so he comes back home as a war vet. Um, he's got a, a, you know, a very good job. I remember when I was young, wherever he went, if I was in the car with him, 
uh, at roadblocks, if there were police officers there, you'd always get mad respect. And I didn't really understand the, uh, uh, you know, what that was about, but I liked it. You know, my dad's, you know, really respected by all these people in uniform. You know, and my mom went from, from there to working at a bank. And um, uh, when I was about eight years old, my dad was sent to the UK to study. And so after being there for a couple of months, he missed us. And so he flew us all the way there. Uh, and so my formative years, I grew up in the UK. So um, I think I got, we got there maybe when I was eight, eight, uh, seven, eight, nine years old. Um, so my mum was religious. She attended a Methodist church, but we moved around quite a lot. And whenever we moved, she would try and find a place where we can uh, go to church. So I grew up with some semblance of uh, Christianity. I knew about David and Goliath, Jonah and the whale, um, you know, the basic stories at Sunday school. I understood a little bit about faith and my, uh, you know, what my mom did. But uh, at that particular point, she wasn't really into it. Um, my dad, on the other hand, he was totally <laughs> not a Christian. And, um, you know, as you got older, well, as I got older, I began to notice and see cracks uh, in their relationship. Um, but yeah, I think um, we, we just moved around a lot. I think 11 or 12 different schools, primary schools, colleges, uh, whenever I landed somewhere, um, I got a best friend within a year or two, we had to move somewhere else. So I never really had any solid long-term friendships like some people have. Oh, I've known this person since he was two and they're in their thirties or forties. I never had that. And um, when I finally uh, turned about 12, 13 years old, I'd experienced a lot of racism in the UK. Um, I was bullied a lot as well um, uh, when I was at school. Uh, just went through a lot of things and I, I had a, a, a resilience that I didn't know where it came from. You know, I knew what was happening to me, but it didn't bother me. It, I didn't care much about it. I, uh, I, uh, I would love to be home playing computer games with my brother, uh, hanging out with the two, with a few friends that I had. Um, and then my parents split when I was about 12 years old. My father went back to Zimbabwe and my mother stayed here in the UK and she raised myself, my sister and, uh, uh, uh my other two siblings. And so, um, eventually, we went back to Zimbabwe. My mom stayed in the UK, but uh, my siblings and I went to Zimbabwe. I'm one of four and I'm the firstborn. And um, I went to boarding school. Uh, that was that was something. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 12 years old, I'm 13 years old. All I've ever known was UK education. I'm in boarding school now. They're strict. They, uh, you know, they, they'll, they'll whoop you if you, if you if you step out of line. And I'm not used to this. I mean, when I was in school, we used to rip pages out of our textbooks and draw pictures on them. You know, we were unruly and the teachers didn't really do anything. So it was a, a, a culture shock, but it did so much good for me. I, I and this was the boarding way. school back in Zimbabwe. Yeah, 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 yeah. In Zimbabwe, uh, in a town called Mutare. Um, so I was there for four years and three of those four years I was in boarding school. So, so I'm curious about about the the kind of the two different worlds that you saw. So up until you know six or seven years old, you said you you were there in Zimbabwe. You came to the UK, and then you had a formative years there as well. And then going back to Zimbabwe. Yeah. So what was that? What was that? You said culture shock, and I, I can you know having been a missionary, I know what that feels like. But can you describe the two different worlds and yeah. how that had an effect on you? Yeah, sure. First of all, you being a missionary, I've, I've, I, I just, I just want, I, I just want to talk to you more now. That's amazing. It's, um, uh, I have mad, mad respect for missionaries. But, um, uh, growing up, I, all the memories that I had when I was younger, before we went to the UK the first time, it was still in me. And so I thought I knew what to expect when I went back. But when you're older, things may still be the same, but you're, you, you're changed. So, the way I viewed things, the way I saw myself, the way I spoke, I wasn't a Zimbabwean anymore and neither was I British. So it, it was just a very weird place to be where the Zimbabweans are not really embracing me as a Zimbabwean. I was the foreign kid who's uh, who has uh, roots in the country. And when I was in the UK, I wasn't a UK citizen. I'm the foreign kid from another country. So it was just trying to adjust and find myself in that, in, in that space. And so part of the culture shock really was just realizing that life isn't 
handed to you on a plate. You have to work hard and 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 be disciplined. And uh, you know, all credit where 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 it's due. My mum did her best, but um, you know, you can only bring up a boy so far. Uh, um, there was just something about boarding school. It was an all male boarding school as well. So it was just men, uh, you know, we, we had to get up a certain time in the morning, have your shower by a certain time, eight at the same time. Um, there was a, a, a competition about who would get the best grades. And so you're always pushed to do better. And it, it did a lot of good for me. It, it taught me things that I think I would not have learned, uh, when I was in, in, in the UK. So it sounds like you uh, were were pretty used to being an outsider, but maybe is is it possible that in that boarding school you found yourself as part of a greater collective, and that that also was the reason why it was helpful to you? Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because um, anyone who was an outsider or who saw themselves as an outsider ended up in my we 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 ended up in a group, and so. An interesting thing that happened in, in, in boarding school is they had this thing called a scripture union. And, um, um, you know, it's like a Christian group. And so the first few days I was there, a few of the young boys who were in the scripture union invited me to come. And so I'm thinking, well, I'll go to church. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'll go. I'll check it out and see what it's like. And, um, and so I went to their meeting. You've got Catholics. You've got, uh, uh, Protestants. You've got Baptists. You've got all of these, uh, 13 to 14 year olds, uh, some 15, 16, all from different churches coming together under one umbrella. And, you know, some of them would have been considered, uh, uh, you know, uh, geeks or whatever the, the, the word is now. And, um, but oh man, when I first went into that meeting, I realized very quickly that I wasn't what they were. So these young men were actually saved born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at them thinking to myself, this is weird. This isn't what I learned at Sunday school. And so they're teaching each other. There's no leader. So um, they meet together. Um, there's no worship leader. One person would start singing, everyone else would join. And then he would quieten down and another person. And it was never uh, um, chaos. It, you know that feeling when you are at a conference or a good church service and everyone is praying and then all of a sudden there's a hush and everyone does it at the same time and then someone gives a word it's almost like it was almost like that we knew who was going to sing next and it was just weird but i loved it but i it made me realize very quickly that i wasn't saved and it took about a month of going there before i realized you know what i need to actually do something about the condition of my soul. I was probably 13 or 14 and around, around that time. So this is within a month of me joining the boarding school. And I prayed, I invited Christ into my life. And there was a radical change, like day and night uh, after that experience. Wow, that's incredible. So um, one of the things I like to ask about, though, before before this time, you know, when you were growing up in your parents' house and with your mom being uh, fairly religious, um, do, do you remember any seeds that God was planting along the way to bring you to that point of, uh, of salvation? Only one thing that I remember very clearly was a conversation I had with my mom. Um, I think I was flicking through her Bible and, you know, I, uh, I was always interested in, in, in mythology, Greek gods and stuff like that. And so I'd always uh, consume their, those books. And so, you know, I'd treat the Bible the same. I'd flick through it. And I read a few passages about hell. So I asked her and uh, I don't think she knows how impactful this conversation was because I remember it clearly. I said to her mom, if you die and go to hell, um, are you actually there forever? Is that, is that for real? And this was before I went to the boarding school. And she didn't try and pacify that answer. She answered it directly. And she said, um, yeah, once you're in there, you will never come out. That's all she had to say. And that never left me. I think it, um, it actually was very preventative in some of the mess that I could have ended up in as I got older. Uh, because that was always in the back of my head. So I would say that um, God used my mother very powerfully at that particular point, just for that very quick three or four minute conversation. It wasn't what she said. It was the conviction in which she said it. She didn't apologize for it. She didn't say, well, I'm not too sure. She didn't leave any gap of doubt. She was like, 
if you go there, you will never come out. And then she left it at that. I, I just remember walking up the stairs very slowly, holding the Bible like this and, you know, trying to digest eternity and what that meant. And so I think that was the first big seed that God, uh, uh, you know, kind of put into me before uh, the boarding school experience. Okay. So, wow. So, uh, so now you're in a, a boarding school in back in Zimbabwe, you have a, a radical conversion. And so describe how, how you knew that God was touching you. Like what, what was he changing in your life? Oh man. Um, those, those group of kids, we were all just radical. We would fast. And uh, again, when you're in a boarding school, everyone eats at the same time. So imagine about 15 or 20 young people dotted around the canteen all not eating and uh, giving their food to everyone else. And so everyone then is aware, oh, the Christians are fasting. We're, you know, at this point, I'm probably 14, 15 now. Man, uh, that's radical for a 14-year-old. Not to eat. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, and, and so, again, with no leader, uh, we had a SU leader, but he was a teacher. He was also stayed at the boarding school, but he wasn't with us 24-7. We, 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 we just did things ourselves. We'd go to chapel and we'd preach to each other and we'd witness and we'd sell things. We, we, um, I got filled with the Holy Spirit, um, uh, not long after I started speaking in tongues. We'd pray for each other. People would get healed. People get uh, filled with the Holy Ghost. Every time there was a new wave of students, we will try and galvanize as many as we can into the group. Um, but um, the lack of leadership also led to just some unwise decisions and choices. I mean, I visited all of my friends' churches, all of them. So every Sunday when we had to leave and we can go into the town, I'd visit my friend's church and this church. So I didn't, I didn't have a place for myself. But uh, for me, church was the scripture union club. Um, but then when I was 16, um, my mother then wanted us to come back. So the whole time that we were in the UK, um, back at the, um, in Zimbabwe, uh, I don't think I saw my father more than once or twice. At that point, I think he had kind of moved on with his life a little bit. Um, uh, our relationship was touch and go. Um, uh, I didn't realize how much I needed him, but as a young person, you don't really fully understand what's going on. You trust your parents. You don't know the details. They must know what they're doing. Um, so 16 years old, um, I leave Zimbabwe and go back to the UK. And uh, that was the beginning of a long, backslidden, uh, drug-fueled couple of years. It took literally a year for everything that God did in those three years to be taken out of me. Um, uh, I would attribute that to a lack of fellowship. I tried a few churches. I didn't find any church that gave me the same feel that I had at Scripture Union. Um, there was a really nice church where people were really friendly. But man, when, you, when you've tasted something so radical, you want the same thing. And I didn't have the maturity to realize that, you know, it, it's, it's sometimes you just kind of need to grind it out and just stay somewhere and just see what happens. Um, but um, uh, so I just stopped going altogether. In my mind, I'll just be a Christian at home. And it didn't take long before. That, that doesn't usually work out too well. It took less than a year. I stopped praying, stopped reading my Bible. Um, I um, eventually rolled into a college. So now I'm hanging around with, uh, uh, you know, I'm 16, 17 years old at this point. I'm hanging around with people that have no regard for God. And they were more of an influence to me than I was to myself without a church family at that point. point. Yeah, people people don't realize that there is a, a spiritual gravity out there that they think that it's it's just uh, going to be them against you know uh, against or it's going to be them being able to maintain at a at a certain level like you know yeah. like an airplane right once you reach yeah. straight and level uh, in an airplane that you know it's going to be smooth sailing but th there is all around us there's a gravity the gravity of the world gravity of our flesh. There's gravity of the enemy who's going to work against you, right? And so uh, it, it's unwise to find yourself without a support system, without uh, people keeping you accountable. So, yeah, I, I wonder maybe yeah. um, there's going to be young disciples who listen to this and maybe they're they're thinking about, you know, putting themselves in that position. What, what would you say to them and what would you say to yourself, uh, you know, getting getting into that position back then? If I, if I was to bump into myself in a bus and sat next to myself and I was giving myself advice, I, I would say the same thing to me that I would say to any young person listening 
that uh, the way the devil works is he's smart. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to, but we have to be real. It's a slow fade. It wouldn't, it, it wouldn't have worked if he knocked on my door and said, look, I, I need you to backslide. Please sign here, here. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Do a few stamps and let me go. It wouldn't have worked. I, I would have fought, fortified myself, but it's, it's, it's one day turns into a week, a week turns into a month, a month turns into a year. And before you know it, you're a totally different person. It, it's just a gradual, slow fade. And so the, the advice then really, uh, I would give myself is, is don't think that you are above backsliding. Don't think that you are, uh, you, you're so, your spiritual experiences will carry you, uh, uh, uh long term. Um, I found this so true as a pastor. We've had people come to our church and be miraculously healed by evangelists and they don't come back. And I always scratch my head. You know, you walked in with crutches and you left walking in your own two legs. I'm thinking, this is it. This is revival. I'm going to see that person next week. They're going to bring seven other people. Look at what God has done. But I learned very quickly that those, 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 those experiences are very powerful and very needed, especially for furthering the gospel they the ex spiritual experience in of themselves don't keep people it's 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 an ongoing consistent relationship with god lived in a community that sustains people um uh, so if you never have a spiritual a deep spiritual experience or you envy that as long as you have christ you have everything you need uh, and we thank god for those but it's it's that consistency of just grinding having a, a, a being accountable to someone else growing in that arena uh, um, and so i wish i knew that because i would have saved myself uh, a lot of the uh, issues and heartache i faced as a result of slowly backsliding yeah yeah that's true and um mm. you know I, what i was just explaining to somebody yesterday or a couple of days ago on outreach was that um you know the miracles you, you you ask why why doesn't god just like show up the way that he did for ancient israel you know how come there's not these plagues of egypt or how come there's not water from a rock or from you know why doesn't god do these huge miracles anymore mm. in that same way and and i think the reason is because when god did provide those massive miracles like which generation saw more miracles than those people in the desert like they saw all of the miracles, but it led them to be continually backsliding. Like they became dependent on that. And it wasn't until they stepped out of that arena that they finally, you know, started living right. And so the miracle themselves, like exactly like you said, the miracle itself, the sign and the wonder is meant to be a sign to the unbeliever, not to the believers. You know, it's a, it's something to draw people in. It's a signpost. It's a billboard for the kingdom, but it's not the kingdom. And yeah. we got, we got to, we got to, yeah. you know, adjust yeah. our mentality to that. So uh, did you want to react to that yeah. at all? Very good. No, I, I couldn't say better than what you just said. It. It's, it's, it's so true. And so, you know, just as a side note, I think it's for, for the Christian that's listening, that thinks because you haven't had, you know, people come and share testimonies and they talk, you know, God woke me up at three in the morning and I was floating one meter above my bed, spinning around. There was a light <laughs> in my room and, <laughs> you know, there was angels with, with banjos and I was like, God, and I knew what, and, and then, and then you look at your life and you think, well, I haven't had that. I, I prayed uh, and I don't feel like anything happened, but I've been still coming to church and, uh, you know, there has been changes in my life. Hey, that's valuable. That is so valuable because um, uh, the greatest miracle that could ever happen to anyone is having their heart changed, you know, being born again out of any miracle that you can ever see, greater than the parting of the Red Sea, the the, the raining of fire and hell, uh, uh, you know, seeing angels. It's just a heart that was dead being made alive in Christ. That's the greatest miracle. Amen. I'm so glad you said that because there, there's people, uh, and I was one of those people uh, that was like, hey, I don't feel very spiritual, you know. <laughs> and, but but just mm. the fact of believing the gospel and having sins forgiven, that that is enough. And we, we really need to remember that that is, that is the end all be all, right? So, okay, well, take us back to uh, yeah, your your yeah. trip back to the UK, and uh, you're you're falling into some bad bad places. Uh, so, so how did that go? Like, yeah. where did that where did where did it end up? 
Yeah, um, great question. I think um, uh, I'm just trying to. Go, I haven't had a chance to actually do this ever, so this is this is very good for me as well. It makes me remember what God has done. But um, uh, I remember, you know, I, I'm starting to notice girls. Um, uh, I, I still have that thing in the back of my mind. So I haven't uh, this whole time. I haven't stopped believing that God exists. Um, I'm just not talking to him and. It's it's compartmentalizing, if I pronounce that right. I I I don't want to open that door. I've, I've shut the door. God's in there. I know He's there, but I don't want to open the door because if I do, excuse me, there's some things in me I'm going to have to start to address. So, uh, fast forward a few years, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hanging around with friends that are smoking cigarettes. So, you know, I want to try it. I want to see what this is all about. Uh, I've got no restraints. Um, again, my mum, she's a great woman, but she's, she wasn't saved at that point. So, uh, uh you know, we, we, she was against a lot of the stuff that I was doing, but I'm, I'm, I'm smoking cigarettes now. And, you know, I, I, I kind of like the way it feels. Um, my friends uh, at college say, Hey, listen, man, we're going out afterwards. Uh, we're going to go and drink. Uh, you know, we weren't, I didn't have a lot of money, but they would buy me drinks. And so I'm drinking alcohol now. I'm like, wow, this is, you know, this is, I'm experiencing new things and uh, I'm drinking alcohol and, and uh, you know, I was into music at that time. And so I tried to produce and write as much as I could. Um, but, you know, it's just a hobby. Um, my life really took a major change because I was still a good kid. I just did bad things uh, to myself. But, you know, I was respectful to, 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 uh, to elders. I was kind to people. It's that kind of stuff. I then met through a, a friend of mine, one of my best friends at the time. His older brother was in a rap group and they studied music at a college. So because uh, I was into music, I said, oh, I want to go with you and see what it's like. And so I met his friends, my older brothers, my older, my best friend's older brother. I went with him to meet his friends, all older than me. Number of dynamics were working there. Number one, my dad hasn't been in my life for years now. And all of these older guys are saying very good things about my musical abilities they, and so it, it made me feel a certain way i like being around them because they were affirming me and i didn't get that from my father and secondly they were drug addicts um and so they are smoking uh, marijuana and uh, uh the first time I, I i took it i was sitting in a circle with, with a bunch of them and they're passing around this funny looking cigarette um i didn't know what was in it i didn't ask but everyone was smoking it and so when it got to me I didn't want to be the one guy that says, now nah, I don't do that and pass it on. That was a very pivotal moment because it was peer pressure without peer pressure. No one made me do it. I just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. But again, the devil was very subtle. He knew what he was doing. Man, I smoked that thing and I was giggling like a schoolgirl for, um, uh, um, no offense to, to the PC uh, crowd, but uh, for, for a while. <laughs> just offended all the schoolgirls. <laughs> yeah, they're just uh, uh, not giggling right now. But uh, okay, I'm gonna get off that. Uh, but <laughs> so I went home uh, uh, to with my friend uh, to his house, and man, we were just laughing and joking for for ages. And I thought, like, whatever this thing is, I want more of it. And since those guys have it, I'm gonna start hanging around with these guys. And um, I started hanging around with them. We ended up forming a really strong relationship. Um, I went from just oh, just going there on the weekends after college, hanging out with them only for the weekend, smoking then to buying my own stash and going with them uh, uh, to buy. And so I'm 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 now not not a burden to them. I'm sharing what I've bought to selling uh, 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 a couple of years down the line. And that whole time we were making music together. We ended up forming a band. Um, we named each other after. Uh, uh, smoking paraphernalia. So um, the main guy in the group, he called himself Two Tokes and I was Roach. And so unless you're in that world and in the UK, you won't know what that means, but it was it related. And we ended up uh, having this big old group, maybe about six or seven of us. We did sh uh, live shows. This is all hip hop and rapping. Uh, we shared a stage with Ice-T and uh, uh, this beatboxer, I can't remember his name, was quite famous uh, back then. We weren't famous or anything like that. It's just a, a, a little local. But it was during that time I was introduced to cocaine. I was introduced to hallucinogens, microdots, um, uh, MDMA, if that's what it's called. I can't really remember. Uh, but it's uh, uh, pills, ecstasy, all of that kind of stuff. So it went from cigarettes to alcohol to then doing all of these things. And I was trapped between the age of 18 and 23. 
there wasn't a day that went by when I wasn't drinking or smoking. Wow. I would, yeah, I would go to bed, roll, roll a, a joint, smoke half of it and go to sleep. The first thing I would do when I wake up is finish it up. That's how I would end and start my day. Go to the off license, buy a, a, a little bit of alcohol and then drink that and then eat food and then go to work. And I functioned like that for, for a good number of years. And every weekend, weekends for us was Thursday to Monday, pretty much. We'd be going out, drinking, taking drugs. And, um, you know, and then at one point I had a really, really bad trip. And, um, uh, and that kind of jolted me a little bit. And, um, um, I, I, I was never able to really communicate what happened until I heard a similar testimony. There's a guy who shared his testimony about a bad trip that he had, and he was able to put into words what happened to me, which then gave me the ability to then share it better. But we took this uh, uh, LSD. It was a hallucinogen called a microdot at the time. And um, I'd never done it. I didn't know what it was about. Uh, you know, my friends had no religious background whatsoever. So anything that they saw or happened to them, it was all fun and games. Remember, I got saved when I was 13. Like, right, really yeah. Saved. So I know there's heaven, I know there's hell, I know there's demons. I'm just in this backslidden state. So when I took this microdot, we were watching, oh man, um, a very bad idea. We were watching a movie by Pink Floyd called <laughs> The Wall. Oh, I mean, this is the most trippiest, terrible idea, especially if you, anyway. So I'm watching this thing and uh, 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 it felt as if Everything in that program was tailor-made to assault me and to make me lose my mind. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking at my friend for reassurance because I'm thinking, are you guys feeling what I'm feeling? But I felt alone, even though there was like three of us in the room. Um, and I can only describe it as this. There's something about the spirit realm when it comes to like demons and stuff like that. Without going into trying to explain it, because it's very difficult to put it into words. But it's, it's evil and it, it's mocking. Those are the two things I can really say I experienced real evil and mockery where it's, 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 it's things like, you know, who do you think you are? You think God will accept you. Um, uh, uh, look at, look at the, your, your physique, look at the way you look, the way you speak. You'll never make friends. When you have these things playing around in your mind over and over, it's, it's, it really is a, a, a demonic hatred for human beings made in the image of God trying to belittle us. And I experienced that in a concentrated way. I mean, I thought that I was going to lose my mind. I, in my mind, I was thinking, by the time this movie is finished, I'm going to be in a loony bin because I, I was becoming slowly unhinged. It was like uh, the way I was thinking was unraveling. Uh, you know, you kind of like uh, unravel like a, a something cotton and you pull on the, on the string. That's how I felt my mind was doing. And so by a miracle, by the time I woke up the next day, I was still intact. But it, it changed me. I, I thought to myself, you know what? I am never going to, to, to do that again. Um, uh, but, you know, I still drank, I still smoked weed. And um, when I was 22 years old, I started to hear voices in my head. And so I decided I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to smoke anymore. I'm not going to drink anymore. And, and, I, and I lasted. I mean, I, I did very well for about ooh, uh, four hours. <laughs> Before, before I realized I can't stop. I, what I loved, you know, because I, I, I deliberately described it as something so nice at the beginning. I was giggling. I was having fun. We were watching movies and I saw things in the movies that I wouldn't when I was sober. It was so much fun, but now I'm bound. I want to be free and I can't. I, I, I want to stop smoking, but I can't. Every time I, I try, I get irritable and angry and for no reason. Every time I try and stop drinking, someone pulls me back into it. And so, uh, you know, that old saying, sin will take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want. That's exactly what happened to me. Um, and it was around that time, luckily, that um, uh, um, uh, my sister started going to church. And so the salvation stories. Come wow. I'm pause there just yeah. Well, I do have two yeah. questions before we start that story. Um, the, the first question I have is mm. regarding uh, weed, because uh, here in the States, I don't know how it is there in UK, mm. but. Uh, there is a huge movement here to legalize marijuana and for recreational use. And um, people are saying, what's what's the use? Uh, you know, it's not a big deal. It's just the same as uh, or or not not any worse than than drinking alcohol. Um, 
since I don't have that experience, I wonder if you could speak to that because I, I don't think this has ever come up on our show. But um, what, what would you say to people who who say, you know, why why is it such a big deal for me to be smoking weed rec, rec, re, recreationally? It's interesting you say that. We just had a a, um, a conversation with our church last week actually about gray areas because people do make that argument well coffee is addictive um and it's also bad for you so it's chocolate in, in excess so if, if i can't drink alcohol or, or smoke weed then we should might as well ban coffee and, and all that kind of stuff but um uh the the thing is with my experience is there are certain things that you you do that open the door to spiritual activity and uh, uh, the drugs is definitely one of them, and weed is definitely in that category based on my experience. Um, uh, uh, you know, when you think about witchcraft, current and ancient, you almost know that it's synonymous with the use of some sort of mind-altering substance to enter into a state in order to commune with spirits. Um, and so, you know, people do it because it works, but you're opening doors that shouldn't be open. You know, uh, you know, the, the, uh, we should be going to God for that kind of stuff, for, uh, uh, for, for, for wisdom, for guidance, for encouragement, for comfort. Uh, Jesus is the author of that. He, he's our source. And so, um, when you do that, you open yourself up. And so there's many reasons why you shouldn't do it. You know, on the practical reasons, you shouldn't even touch it because you don't know your makeup. Um, just, I, I know people who've tried it once and they've lost their mind. They, they've tried it and they've become hooked. They've tried it and they can't function without it. They become addicted to it. So even if we said it was allowed, I mean, think about it. The Bible says all things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And, um, I, I, I may be allowed to do something, but I refuse to be bound by anything. So why would we put ourselves willingly in a position where you can be addicted, bound, uh, when you could potentially lose your mind, potentially uh, uh, lose touch with reality. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, um, and it's a bad example. Um, uh, you know, you, you might violate your conscience. You might bring a bad testimony to God. I, yep. I know for a fact that when I was backslidden, if I bumped into a weed smoking Christian and they invited me to their church, I wouldn't have gone. I'd be like, nah, there's no way. How, how what is there? in your church that's going to give me hope about my life because the people that are doing it want out the people that aren't doing it want in it doesn't make any sense so when we when you're out what you need to do is then really focus on how do i get some people out of it show them that in christ there's freedom from everything that you don't need to be bound by anything and it's it's not something to to lay hold of as a right it's it's there's bigger things to worry about you know the souls and the salvation of people so if me engaging in something hinders someone from getting saved i'm not touching it so it's bad bad idea for many 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 reasons um i just want to say one more thing about that a bit of an illustration but when i was younger before we came to zimbabwe i i um i almost drowned in in the, in the swimming pool in our backyard and so um um they did um uh, resuscitation thing. And, and, you know, uh, I was, I was helped. My uncle is the one who dove in and saved me. But, um, I found out many, many years later when I was thinking that story through for an illustration that some people, uh, drown, are rescued from the water, but then die hours later from secondary drowning, even though they're outside of the water. So they were in the water taken out, but then they die from the water that's still inside of them. So all of the water has to come out. So I've used that as an illustration to say when you're, when, when you're saved, you are taken out of water, you're rescued, but then there's some things in you that still need to come out because they can kill you or they can deal with you harshly as well. So salvation is an inward thing. As, as much as it's taken out of the world, you have to have some things that are in you taken out as well. You know, and, and, and yeah, just, just don't do drugs. <laughs> well, well, that goes right to my, my pastor's uh, book that he wrote from deliverance to dominion, which is exactly what he mm -hmm. says. It's not enough to, for the, for the Israelites to come out of Egypt, the Egypt has to also come out of them. And that was the problem. They, they were delivered, oh, but on. they did not have yeah. dominion. And uh, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So that, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, good illustration. Every pastor has got his, uh, mm -hmm. his note app open up right now I'm writing that one down um 
The second question I had for you uh, has to do with your experience in Zimbabwe. Now, I have not been to Zimbabwe, but I've been to several African countries. And um, one one thing I've noticed and uh, having had the pleasure of knowing some uh, some African people, Nigerian. We had a Nigerian guy in our church for a long time, so I got to know him well. And uh, one thing I've noticed about him and talking with other pastors and, and going to these places also uh, is that there is a, a, mm. a much greater understanding of spiritual things in in these countries, in, in many yeah. of these places. And so I'm wondering how that yeah. played into your experience, uh, especially with the doing drugs and opening yourself up to those spiritual forces. Do you think that uh, th- did you have that uh, that kind of that base knowledge that was higher than most of us on, in the West here about spiritual things? Then, and do you think that that played into this experience? Yeah, I think part of the reason why I had the bad trip was because I could I could sense something was wrong, right? Um, I in hindsight, I, I don't know if 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 you you or your listeners have ever had the experience of being held down and you can't move in the bed as as new converts, especially, or when you can just feel there's a presence in the room and you, you know late at night and you get up and you pray over your children, you 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 cast it out and you can feel a tangible difference. Um, that's in looking back, that's what I was feeling in the room. But for me, it was the drugs. But because I was aware of the spirit realm, I was able to, it was more scary because you're like, okay, this is actually demonic. Whereas if I was unchurched at all, it's a bad trip or it's it's fun. It's, it's something, uh, you know, you, you're seeing things that are not there, something that you can tell your friends afterwards. Um, so part of the experience then was, it was almost like whatever whatever was happening to me it was like the forces outside of my own imagination that were uh, uh, that was operating knew that i knew that they were there it's really weird but it's like yeah you're you're not the same as these guys so we're coming for you and it was like a torrent of 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 thoughts just flooding through my mind that was just trying to unravel me and it's again it's just by the grace of god uh, you know just to give you an idea there's one one, one particular point i'm trying to sleep and, and and I could almost hear these voices saying, oh, just leave him alone, leave him alone. He's had enough now, he's had enough. And then there was just silence. It's like, okay, I can think again. I, I'm in my own thoughts. And then it was like a few seconds later, they all start laughing. It's like, you know, like, yeah, right. We're going to leave you alone. And then boom, it started again. So it's like, yeah, we're coming for you. Um, what Because of my formative years, I was in the UK and pretty much unchurched, I think that the experience I had getting saved at the boarding school played a major part. In terms of the spirituality in Africa, generally speaking, I think it's just there are some groups of people in some countries um, that are more aware that there's a spirit realm. They just grew up around it. Um, you know, you hear stories um, of people going in to visit their in-laws or or, or friends and telling their children, don't eat whatever food they give you. Because um, in their minds, you know, some people would put something in your food or pray over it or do something. So there's a, a, a culture of witchcraft, a culture of, of, of spiritualism, a culture of church. And so you're always heightened, you know, things happen and you, you, you kind of relate to the spirit realm. And I believe that the, the, the UK and America and, uh, and some parts of Europe were, were like that. Um, it's just that the secularism has, uh, has, you know, it's waving its flag quite strongly, uh, from when we took the commandments out of schools. Uh, I, I remember in this country, uh, uh, we used to pray, um, um, in, uh, in assemblies before, before school classes, they, they took all of that stuff out. So, so the generation that's growing up have no reference points and they think in a more secular way and they are losing that grip on reality because reality is there's a spirit realm yes and with, with losing that grip you start to make foolish decisions and choices because everything is secular um so um the unfortunate thing is i think that unless something changes as time goes on africa certain parts may end up being the same i went to south africa twice for an impacting uh international impacting the first time i went man they the school kids the, the locals they lapped it up everything we did Everything we touched turned into gold. The 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 concerts we did were packed. The the, the when we were on the streets, it was the second time I went, which was probably seven years afterwards. They couldn't care less. 
I thought, I, you know, I went in there with a bit of pride. I was, I wasn't a pastor then, but you know, as a disciple, I was like, "Hey, man, we're 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 coming from the UK, you know, like we're we're coming from the streets of gold, paved with gold." <laughs> my accent was going to, in my mind, my accent was going to make everyone flock over. Oh, what do you have to say? We went to a school, and I'm trying to witness to this this young man. To be honest, he, he probably was, uh, you know, because you know how like they they repeat the years. So he was he was you know older than the rest. Trying to witness to him, thinking because I'm British, they're gonna to listen to me. He he just he literally put his hand out like that. I said, "Can't you?" I'm I'm speaking to this girl. He wasn't interested. <laughs> oh man! I was like, I, I was I was I was so shocked. It just but it made me realize that what's every time the West sneezes, the rest of the world eventually catches a cold. And um uh, and so we thank God for the missionaries out there that are still fanning the flames there. And there's a, a, a desperation. A friend of mine went to Zimbabwe, uh, um, um, shout out to Pastor Shepherd. And he said he went, he was preaching around and he preached in one particular church and a, and a lady came up and she had a toothache. I mean, she was in this excruciating pain. So he's trying to encourage her not to come to church. It's like, you got a toothache, go to the hospital. What are you doing here? This is, you mean like, go, stay home. And what she said convicted the socks off him. She said to him, um, there is no option to go to the hospital right now. You, they're not going to be able to do anything to help me. I've come to church to get healing. So in other words, she had no other option. Her best option was to go to church. For us, man, if I've got a sniffle, I'm staying at home. I'm going to take these pills. You know what I mean? But for her, it was like, Jesus has to do something. So he prayed for her and she got healed. And so she, the, her, her faith was activated in that service and she went home healed. And it's, you know, uh, I, I pray that, uh, you know, our churches experience the same desperation uh, and uh, the same level of miracles as well. Yeah, I, I think um, you, you're right on track. And what, what I would want to add to that is that as the West becomes uh, further and further away from God, more secular as time goes by, as another generation is being raised up with the idea that spirituality is not a thing like that. That's like trying to live life with one eye closed, right? You had, you can see physical, but to deny the entire spiritual reality, um, the longer that our culture is sliding in that direction, the further we get away from God, the more we turn back to, it's not that we turn, you know, just away from God, but we're turning back to paganism essentially and but but what that's going to create in let's say 10 20 years time is it's going to create a, another hunger for righteousness like people you can't continue going that way so if the whole you know if if it doesn't end in nuclear war which i guess is a real possibility you know that then you know it's either revival or it's much much worse and i think that what's happening in the west now can only end in incredible revival because just like you in your personal story, we're yeah. going to hear how you got saved, but you had, you had a relationship with God and you, you ran away from that, but you knew, you knew where to go back to when the time was right. And I think that that's true of UK. That's true of the United States that, that there has to come a time that, that we have to come running back to Jesus. Yeah. Oh yes, that's so good. It's and it's true. We're, we're seeing it here, and I'm sure it's happening in America as well. The crazier the world is getting, the more people are coming to church. It's kind of like the Jesus People movement. I think it was a bit crazy for them around that time. Everything they're trying wasn't working. Then they realized there has to be something more. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that revival. Amen. Okay, well, we're, we're already uh, a, an hour in, and we we need to hear about how God saved you oh, again and brought you back home. Let's let's hear that story. Okay, so. Um, um, I'm now 22, 23, and um, uh, I'm in and out of relationships. I'm working at a, at a bar, um, so I'm drinking every day. Um, I, I was stealing money from the bar to buy. I mean, it was just it was horrible. Um, I, I'd moved out of home, and so at that particular point, my best friend was my manager, and that's not not always a good idea. Um, so I felt like I can't work here anymore. So I quit my job. So now I'm I have got no job. I dropped out of uh, uh, school, so I've got no education, no job. Um, I'm a drug addict, and I moved back to my mom's house. I mean, it was it was sad times. All all I did was just play computer games uh, and smoke weed, and you know the, the little money that I had that I'd spend it towards there. Um, my girlfriend at the time didn't even trust me enough to 
to uh, leave me in her house by myself, which is probably at the t at the point at that point it was probably a wise idea. So I would I'd go to her house uh, um, on a uh, at night, and in the morning when she's going to work, I had to leave with her. Working in a bar, which opened at twelve, it meant that I had nothing to do for six out for a couple of hours. So I would go to a park near my bar and just lie down in the sun on the, on, uh, in the summer. So the first time I heard voices was when uh, I'm, I'm lying down in this particular park. I closed my eyes. Uh, you know, when I walked in there, it's early in the morning, so there's no one around me. As soon as I closed my eyes, I heard an old lady laughing here, and I heard some people kind of talking and milling around here, some kids and that kind of stuff. So it startled me because I was by myself. So I opened my eyes. I'm, I mean, I'm wide awake. I'm not sleeping. And I look around, and there's no one there in the park. And so, you know, you'd think that I'd throw everything away, right? I'm done. Um, but it wasn't enough. I didn't tell anyone, didn't tell my friends. I thought, you know, it'll go away eventually. Um, you know, and it wasn't consistent, but every now and again, it'll prop up, especially when I was just about to fall asleep or just about to, to wake up. Uh, you know, these things were happening around that time. I think my sister had just got saved. She was, she started going to a church. And so I'm at home now. So every week, She's saying, come church, come church. She didn't witness to me. She just invited me to church. And every week I'm like, nah, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Uh, she eventually wore me out. Um, God bless I her. I thought to myself, oh yeah. <laughs> I thought to myself, if I don't go, she's going to drive me nuts. Let me go so that when she asks me next week, I'll say to her, I went last week, leave me alone. Now, so you can annoy people mind. into church attendance. Oh, hundred percent. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Do it. Do it. Set, set the alarm to say, come church, come church, come church. I mean, do everything you can. Um, actually, you know, don't do that. <laughs> but, um, um, uh, yeah, she, she was very effective. I mean, the thing is she, she, it was annoying because I was convicted. I knew I had to go to church and she was, she wasn't piling it on. She was like, um, you know, do you want to come church? And that was it. And to me, it sounded so loud. Um, because, you know, it was, it, it was convicting. Uh, bear in mind, I had prayed because, you know, there were a few times where I'm like, you know what, this is crazy. I, I reference back to when I got saved when I was a teenager and I'll pray to God and say, God, you need to save me. I, I, you know, I'm done. I can't keep living like this. And then I'll, you know, smoke and go out and drink. So I had this, this weird relationship with God where I'll talk to him, but I felt so far and so dirty and filthy that I thought there's no way he's going to answer. But the more desperate I got, the more my imagination. So this is what I thought would happen. I, I prayed consistently enough to believe that God would at least try and help me. And this is what I thought would happen. I'd be walking down the street one day smoking. Then the, the doors would open some stadium, right? Or, or big hall. And I would walk in. And the only people that I knew as Christians at that particular point uh, were people like Morris Cerello, uh, T.D. Jakes. You know, some of you guys won't know who they are, but uh, these are like Christian giants from back in the day. So uh, I, 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 um, uh, um, I'd walk in and I'd find a seat somewhere. And then all of a sudden the service would stop and the main speaker would then look at me and say, you young man, come. And I'll be like, me? And then I'd run to the front, tears streaming. He would lay hands on me. I'll start shaking. Things would fly out uh, and I'd be saved. That's how I thought God would do it. So I eventually go to, to church. Now it was in a hotel with about 40 people. Like just the, the praise and worship was a keyboard a MIDI sounding keyboard with some guy just, you know, plonking the keys, uh, <laughs> two or three singers. And I would say maybe one of them could actually sing. And the, the lyrics were being, the, the lyrics were being put onto a screen with acetate. Some of you guys won't remember acetate, but, uh, uh you know, we've all got screens and projections now, but, uh, and I'm looking around thinking, what in the world is this? But I'll tell you what, it felt like the SU days. It felt like when I was a teenager again, the atmosphere was electric. God's pre I didn't know it then, but it, it was God's presence. Um, it was simple. It was basic. Then there was a pastor who preached. He's no longer in our, in our fellowship now. He was an evangelist at the time. Um, so I won't mention his name, but he preached a very simple sermon. And, uh, it was, it, it was entitled, uh, this today's the day of salvation, just from that text. Um, and so, you know, I was convicted, but you know, I wasn't going to, this was a Tuesday night. It was a revival that Friday. My friends and I had a gig in, in, um, in the, uh, we had a rap concert to do at, in, in central London. So I wasn't ready to get saved. So I literally sat on my hands cause I knew what was coming. You know, every head, every eye closed. I was going to walk out the same way I came in. 
but this is how God got me. I've got my hands on my, uh, I'm sitting on my hands and I've got my, my head bowed and I'm listening to the altar call. And he said, uh, you know, give your life to Christ. He's pulling, he's pulling. Then I thought to myself, nah, I'll do it when I'm older. You know, this is, this feels good. I might, maybe I might visit again, but I'm not ready. I'll, I'll come back when I'm older. As soon as I thought that, he said, uh, you know, tomorrow's, your tomorrow's not promised. Anything can happen. Give your life to Jesus today. He has no idea what's happening. He's just, you know, he's just bantering. I'm like, nah. Then I thought something else, another excuse. And as soon as I thought it, he said something. So we had a two minute conversation going back and forth <laughs> and he was rebutting all of my thoughts. I, I, I freaked out. So my hand shot up. I'm like, this is, this is, this is not normal. And I went to the front, uh, 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 got prayed with and man, years of weights you know d dad issues addictions uh, drugs pornography alcohol years of confusion the voices all of that it it, it, it you know we, we spoke earlier about not wanting not leaning on spiritual experiences but i'm telling you this was something man it, it lifted it everything looked different to me you know i'm looking at people and their faces just looked different the sun hitting the pavement and bouncing back the the light I noticed it for the first time. Like, this is amazing. I'm walking on cloud nine, man. It was, it was the best experience I've ever had. I, 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 and you know, I wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost, nothing crazy. I, I, it's just that the weight was lifted. I went home. I woke up the next day and I realized I don't need to smoke, nor do I want to. All of my addictions were gone. Uh, I mean, I was a new convert. I still rolled one up just to see how it would make me feel. That was my mindset at the time. Like, I don't need to smoke anymore. I wonder what would happen if I did. And so I did, which is not a good idea. Don't get me wrong. Um, uh, I'm not glorifying that. I'm just being honest about my experience. And um, and again, it's like it had an effect, but nowhere near. It was like 10% of the effect. It was, it tasted horrible. Everything about it was like, oh, what am I doing? And and I threw myself into uh, into the church. I, I rang my friends and look, look, Friday, I can't make it. I'm, I'm going to church. That Wednesday, I was in church. I found out that they have this thing called a Bible study where everyone goes to the house and talk about the Bible. Okay, I'm there. Then they had this thing called outreach. Oh, okay, yeah, I I'm coming there. So I was on outreach and 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 uh, uh, I'm seeing people preach until so I'm gonna preach. <laughs> no, <laughs> not you, mate. You just you know calm down. You haven't even been <laughs> church for seven days yet. So you just just observe, hand out some flyers. Okay, cool. And then um, Sunday, I was in church, uh, 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 helping set up Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Then I found out that they have this thing called praise and worship practice at someone's house on a Monday. So I went. I didn't know any idea about ministry standards or whatever. I'm just there. They were very gracious enough not to kick me out. So I'm just sitting there watching them practice. And I, I, I just I threw myself into it because I realized that uh, had I continued in the way I was, I wouldn't have I would either be dead or in a mental asylum. One of the two. hundred percent. Um and so, uh, I, you know, I, I remember telling my pastor at the time, anything that my friends asked of me and uh, I, I did it, I didn't ask any questions. I would just do it because, you know, I, I needed affirmation from them. I wanted to make them proud of me. And so whatever God wants me to do, pastor, whatever you want me to do, hey, listen, I'm, I'm for it. And before long, I found myself uh, uh, being in a Bible study assistant, then a Bible study leader, then leading the youth. Uh, then being on the on the church council, then um, uh, uh, flying to Lithuania to potentially take over a church, and uh, but then someone else got it. Uh, in, international impact teams. And I'm thinking to myself, this is this is this is crazy. I had no I had no job, no passport, no future, um, uh, uh, low mental health, and now I'm, I'm, God is using me. Hey, I I I was all for it. Um, I got married two and a half years into my salvation which was not planned the way i lived morally before i was convinced that god was going to keep me single for at least 10 years i was telling everyone yeah i'm not interested uh, i need to get some stuff out of me it's going to be at least 10 years i couldn't look women in the eye or anything like that um but you know uh within two years uh you know god orchestrated it got married um and uh, you know we got sent out uh, years later reluctantly i didn't want to get sent out <laughs> but god got me
Wow. Wow. What a miracle, man. Um, so yeah, we want to, we want to hear a little bit more about all, all of those things. I want to hear your discipleship journey and what God was doing there in the church. I want to hear about, uh, your, your, uh, your call into the ministry. I want to hear about your marriage. Uh, very few people get married without a plan to get married. So that's interesting. I want to hear that story. And, uh, then want to hear uh, what you, God is doing in, in your current present situation. So we're going to save that for, uh, after the break and for our premium subscribers. So we're going to take a quick break here and uh, we'll be right back with the rest of the story. 